Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Today's episode, I'm absolutely delighted to have Helen Ball, clerk to Shrewsbury Town Council. Helen's had a really fascinating 25-year career uh, where she started as a part-time clerk at a small parish council. It's now clerking one of the largest councils in England. Um, Helen, thank you so much for making the time to come on the show. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good. Well, I, I, I've been looking forward to this all week and I, I've done a bit of preparation. But just if we can give a little bit of background context, just to everyone at home. Shrewsbury Town Council, what kind of budget are you managing there as the uh, town clerk? Um, I currently have a budget of about uh, 4.2 million. So I, you know, in, in comparison to most parish councils, I have a, a huge budget. We, you know, we have a, a population of about 75,000 people um, and we have about 85 members of staff that, that cover assets all over the, the rest of the town. So we, as I say, we've got about a £4.2 million budget, but we probably do bring in another one and a half million, somewhere like that, to to help run the services that we run locally. Phenomenal. And I think that's the thing today, you know, for everyone sitting at home, there are different layers of local government. And I really wanted to get one of the leaders from the country on town councils, Helen, on to talk about the challenges facing uh, town councils at the moment. So let's dive straight in. Helen, what do you think are the greatest challenges that town councils are facing at the present time? Um, I, I think a lot of it is around maybe the austerity measures that are probably hitting our our principal councils. So we are in effect the first tier of local government. We are the closest to our residents. Uh, and then in, in certain areas of the country, you will have district and county councils. Here in Shropshire, we have a unitary authority. So they deal with all of the, the principal kinds of services. So they, they look after our children, they um, put roofs over our heads, they deal with planning, they deal with highways, that kind of thing. We sit below that. So the way that I've always described parish councils is that the principal authority is there to bake the cake, you know, to sustain our life, to educate our children, to look after our old. And our job is to put the jam and cream in that cake and we're the quality of life. So we are the lovely kind of things within local government that people like to see. So that is about flowers, about Christmas, about play, uh, about parks, open spaces, allotments, that kind of thing. So those are the kind of things that we do. But because there is such challenges in local government nowadays in terms of budgetary pressures, you're finding that the principal councils are doing less and less or reverting to the services that they statutorily have to uh, provide and they are getting rid of the ones that they don't have to provide. And that is the challenge that we face, is that some of those lovely things that make our town, our towns and our parishes nice may not necessarily be done by principal authority, and it's going to come cascading down to us. There's going to be an expectation that we do that. And that, in turn, then brings big questions about how we are funded, can we get access to government funding because it's very restricted for us, but also the skill sets uh, of our sector as well. And that's both in terms of 
staff who work within the parish council sector, have they got the capabilities to deliver? But also from a from a member point of view as well, you know, have they got the leadership skills to be able to to lead their communities um, going forward? So I think I think that is probably for me is the biggest challenge, I think, that we collectively face. Just at the moment, then, just so everyone listening at home can understand, how is the town council funded at the moment? Um, generally speaking, parish councils are funded by what they call the precept. So they levy a charge on on the ratepayers of, of their parish. Um, so and quite often it will probably only be 50, 60 pounds a year, something like that, compared to you, probably 1500 pound a year. Um, council tax bills so there will be a very small element um, that is there for parishes so we don't get any funding from central government like our our colleagues in upper tiers do or we rely on any kind of income that we generate locally so in terms of uh, ourselves we generate income from our fees and charges from hiring of the park hiring of our sports facilities but also our market rights as well because we have a a day market and also a Sunday and a cattle market as well. So we get an income stream from there. Are there any changes that you'd like to see or think that the the sector could do with changing the funding streams or do you feel that it's appropriate? Um, I think there is uh, an element of um, the funding stream is is better um, when it's independent um, of central government because in a way you are in your own destiny then which is which is far better. Um, but I think sometimes there is a, a reflection that we don't get any funding from business rates, but yet we do a lot to promote town centres and the viability of those. Um, you know, for me, I it would be nice to not necessarily get direct funding on a regular basis, but have the ability to to tap into funds that central government has that are available that Often we we are able to are, are able to deliver, but they're only open to principal councils usually. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I think particularly with COVID, you saw the ability and the necessity of a local response, and yes. that actually town councils in particular, they know the people, they know the challenges, mm-hmm. and they're able to provide the most appropriate solution to that. Uh, the larger and larger it gets in terms of whether it be principal or whether it be central government, it's hard to do a one size fits all, particularly for an area like Shrewsbury. It's a beautiful part of the country, um, but has different challenges to that maybe of a London borough or a, a town council in London. What, what are the bits around that? I mean, you talked about austerity having an impact in terms of services being cut. Is there any particular area where you feel austerity is having a particular impact in terms of services being withdrawn or reduced in terms of investment? Um, I, I think, you know, probably across the board in, in, in the country, I, th- I think it's around things like parks and open spaces. So um, we're very fortunate in that um, we run all of the parks and open spaces and we always have done. But it's maybe areas where the district councils have run parks and open spaces, their budgets have been cut in those areas so significantly that actually is probably affecting the actual um, the running of those those facilities. Um, and, and then that starts to cascade down because they will have to sort of make conscious decisions of, do they close these facilities or do they try and cascade them down to to the sector? So I think I think public realm is is one of the areas that is really, really struggling. Um, and I think also the management of public realm, particularly for maybe some of the towns and, and you know, and even like for ourselves, 
that um and that also comes on the back of the fact that um other public sector colleagues like the police are are finding their resources quite badly stretched and the fact that they have probably lost a lot of the old guard officers and they've got newer um, officers in who haven't got the life experiences of actually working on the streets um that ability to manage the public realm is is a huge huge challenge and that really ties into i guess one of the areas that you've received accolade for nationally around engaging with the youth population um and, and tackling that i mean with regards to Shrewsbury, how are you going about engaging with your youth population? And are there any initiatives at the moment that you're working on? Um, we have, um, we've always had a quite a relatively good youth budget. It's probably 100, 120,000, something like that. Um, so we have um, youth centres, excuse me, um, and um, outreach workers. So we actually go out on the streets and looking for those kids. We do um, quite a lot of youth activities in the holidays because we find that when you've got lots of children in care, excuse me, lots of, when you have um, lots of children who are probably on free school meals, there is a real worry that they are going to um, not get fed. Excuse me, right, tickly cough. Absolutely, yeah. I just it, it's so absolutely fine. I mean, it is so true. I mean, I saw some of the great work that you were doing around these free school meals because it does go significantly without, I think, sometimes awareness that you know children who have access in term time, if they don't have initiatives and activities for them to do during holidays, they yeah. can sometimes not have access to meals. That's one of the big problems that we find is that um you know they get free school meals and um they just will not get fed that day you know that you'd think in today's society that we wouldn't be in that kind of position but because you know we've got lots of austerity we've got food hubs in abundance we've got people who are needing to access those food hubs and sometimes those children don't get proper meals so having activities where you bring them in and feed them it's really quite crucial because it keeps them, keeps them sustained and it stops them going off and doing things that they shouldn't do. I mean, this is, it's a, I mean, before we started recording, we'd have a, we'd had a, a really good, really interesting conversation this morning around um, uh, the county lines. And for those sitting at home, Shrewsbury is based in a beautiful part of, of Shropshire, um, but it's equidistance from Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, large conurbations where um, gangs, um, gangs work and they operate and, what we've seen is that, you know, there are people coming across county lines um, and, and targeting vulnerable children um, and, and, and grooming them. And it goes back to that point we were just talking about there. If children are hungry, if they've not got initiatives and it's well, the great work that you're doing at the town council, Helen, and are not being looked after, they're even more vulnerable, susceptible to being kind of lured into these gangs. I mean, at Shrewsbury, how are you tackling that challenge? Um, I think it's a real cause for concern because, as you say, that. You know, they they do get taken in by people giving them attention, you know, and it could start with, oh, you know, I'll buy you a happy meal to, you know, you know new pair of trainers. And um, they just see themselves being befriended by other people and they get influenced by those other people. And then ultimately they become the runners for those um, those drug dealers. And, um, you know, we and you find that. 
if you get like a single line, you know, you could potentially have upwards of 30, 40 young people who are feeding that line. And, you know, if you've got, say, 20 lines coming into a, a county, that's four, five, six hundred people that could be infected by it. You know, so it is quite important that you get to the stage of preparing diversionary activities for individuals to to predominantly stop them actually getting into that kind of scenario. And that's the kind of work that we're doing. Uh, you know, sadly, I think when you get to a stage where some of these individuals are actually within the county lines kind of um, trap, it's really difficult to get them out. So our job is to really identify those who, who are vulnerable, that maybe are on the risk of exclusion from school, because often, quite often, those are the ones who are the vulnerable individuals because they're going around, they've got nothing else to do during the day. Um, and giving them activities and structure with the hope that they will start to make their own personal life choices and the right life choices. And giving them that kind of adults um, role models that they need to make those decisions if they haven't got those role models in their everyday life. So that it's is so the important, kind of work. Yeah. that we're targeting and we do a lot of work with uh, with schools as well so they actually um allocate certain children to some of our programs and they help us fund some of those programs recognizing that it's really important to get these young people on a pathway where they will not be influenced by people that um you know will will not be helpful and be good for them and i imagine as well because of the the length of tenure that you've worked for Shrewsbury Town Council, been there since 2009 as town clerk, and obviously the the, the experience that you bring to the table. I imagine multi-agencies where you're seeing, um, you know, new superintendent officers coming in are actually seeking your advice on how to actually engage and support as part of a multi-agency campaign on these on this county line problem. Um, yeah, I think I think when you've been a, a town clerk in an area for 14 years and you suddenly realise how many. Um, principal authority chief executives and superintendents and and you know and and shopping centre managers and bid managers and all that kind of thing you suddenly think oh have I been here too long and and I do get to a stage where new people come in and they say I've been told that if I ring you you either know the answer or you know the person who does know the answer and but I I really do advocate that the the need for partnership working is is so strong and so evident now because sometimes the um these kind of problems are nobody's single problem but they're all our collective problem um and we have to come to the table because we've got different resources different skill sets different areas of influence different abilities to regulate and enforce and you've Absolutely. got to make the the best out of the best of the bunch um you know and and um you know we've got to recognize that we've got to play our part in that and certainly in, in Shrewsbury, we have what we call our Team Shrewsbury Partnership. And it is a partnership that is is led by the town council. So it involves absolutely everybody. It's the police, the fire, the, the health service is on, the local authority is on, registered social landlords are on, shopping centre, you name it, they're on that partnership uh, because they see the value of collaborating together. And it also means that you only have one discussion. Um, with all of these people rather than 
me going to see the chief executive of the local authority and going to see the superintendent and going, you know, you, you can all come together collectively and, and start to look at a plan of how you actually allocate resources and start to problem solve together. I mean, that's how I just I, I completely buy into the collaboration. One of the things that's been really concerning around the the police's approach to mental health call outs is that it feels and it's not to do with our conversation here, but just to, on that topic is when one part of that uh, kind of unit that's collaborating makes a decision without really engaging with the other kind of stakeholders that are putting resources in and therefore have to pick up the slack. You know, it's it's you've got to work with all those different partnerships properly. And, uh, it sounds like you guys are truly doing an amazing job. I guess one thing I wanted to get on to today is Martin's Law. Mm-hmm. So um, for those of you at home who are like, what, what is Martin's Law? Well, Martin's Law is pending UK-wide legislation that will place a requirement on those responsible for certain publicly accessible locations to consider the threat from terrorism and implement appropriate and proportionate mitigation measures. This could place a significant uh, pressure on, on local government organisations when they are hosting events. What impact could Martin's Law have on on town councils, do you think, Helen? Martin's Law is a very interesting piece of legislation um, that will come through. Martin's Law has always been something that's been on our radar, um, even right back to May 2017, because it it comes from um, the catastrophic incident at Manchester Arena um, um, following the Ariana Grande concert when 21 young people were were murdered by a um a bomber uh, and um one of the um one of the parents of one of those um young people who died um she has campaigned for um a statutory duty to protect people and for people of organizations to work collaboratively together for me it was always on the radar from 2017 because um we have a concert on an annual basis and two weeks after the Manchester bombing, our concert was to take place. And it was the first 10,000 plus concert after the Manchester bombing. So we had to sit there with the event organisers and say, how do we make people safe? How can we ensure that something like that is never going to happen to us? So we put measures in place to increase the security, increase the search capabilities, improve the comms um, around um, the event with a view to keeping people safe. Um, and it went off without without problem, without um, any sort of concern. But I think it started to change the mindset of people that you are going to be searched when you go into these kind of places. And nowadays, you know, I go to football, have um, a season ticket, and, and we regularly get searched, you know, and you, you get your bags searched. And equally, if you go to an airport nowadays, you'd never get on a plane, would you, unless you've gone through a um, search criteria and also your bags have been searched so we're getting into that kind of mindset but when martin's law is concerned it's really going to affect parish councils who have public buildings you know where there is um, um public accessibility um it will also affect um organize um, parish councils who have um parks and open spaces if they have large bounded events so we have we have a flower show and a food festival um, within our park, um, there will be measures in place that you've got to consider the risk of terrorism on any kind of aspect that you do and put necessary mitigating measures in place. And that changes a huge mindset, really, for for our sector, um, because it's something we've probably never, ever thought about. But 
over the years, there have been a number of occasions where um, the threat of, of a terror attack has really hit the fore where parish councils are concerned. And, and I've always been a big advocate. And um, interestingly, we had our um, flower show a couple of weeks ago uh, and we had a bomb threat. Uh, and the whole park had to be evacuated. So in a way, it sort of said to me that our proactive measures in in looking at counterterrorism measures within a public park was the right thing to do because whilst it was a bomb hoax, it might not have been a bomb hoax. So you have to go through those kind of measures in how do you protect the public and keep them safe and work with others to make sure they're safe. So that is really the, the predominance of Martin's law. There's a lot of, of guidance that is out there nationally. Um, the Home Office and counterterrorism organisations have, have created a lot of training courses. So there's a lot of things that parish councils can do that are free. And it's about raising their awareness, they're raising their game and their understanding of what a terrorist attack might look like. What would you do in the event that you find a suspicious package? What would you do in the event that you find somebody acting suspiciously? And if you follow the kind of procedures that are there nationally, you're going to get to a stage where anybody who's going to be a potential perpetrator of terror are going to think twice. You know, actually, I'm not going to go and do it there because they've got lots of um, counterterrorism measures. They've got staff who are really on the ball and start to look and observe things. And that is the kind of things that we need to start to do. It's about all of us collectively trying to make sure everybody's safe because we can't afford for the terrorists to win, you know, because that changes our whole lives. So we've got to put those measures in that makes that people going about their everyday business, um, they can do safely. I don't want to get to the point where somebody goes to an event that is on our land or in one of our buildings and they don't get home safely. And that is our fundamental concern. Well, I, I think you, you, by the sounds of it, you're absolutely, you know, addressing this as because it's a, such a critical, critical issue. And again, it always comes down to funding as well, because, you know, if there are some town councils that don't have the same budget. You know, the question is whether do you do you run events or do you not? You know, it, it's it's really challenging. But um, no, I completely uh, I think it's fantastic. I'm actually very great. My parents went to the uh, the big festival that you were regarding the 10,000 and they love it like, every year. So um Brilliant. But last question, which I'm asking everyone um, on, on the show is. Why do you think that local government and by local government, I include town councils. Is important. Um, you know, I think I might sort of come on with it like the Abraham Lincoln kind of um, quote of the people for the people by the people kind of thing. You know, it's about there's only there's only people who know what a town is like what a town needs um and it's the local the local members and the uh, and those are the grassroots level and you know and i think there is um you know huge strength in in the local government sector in its broadest sense in being able to be in charge of delivering the services that that community wants and needs um, and being um, in a position and having the powers and influences to be able to service that. In terms of a parish council, um, I'd be fortunate to work for a parish council for, for 25 years, so I've, I've seen it firsthand. It is about that 
really micro level of, of understanding a community, understanding what how it fits, um, what it's like in its good times, but also being able to respond to the challenges that it faces in its bad times. And those are very different challenges. You know, for us in Shrewsbury, it's often flooding, um, you know, where the River Seven can be sort of 10, 12, 15 feet higher than it normally is. That's a huge, huge challenge. COVID was a massive challenge to communities. But, um, you know, there's other there's other aspects of, of life that that means that those local leaders are the local champions of their community um, and they do a, a remarkable job. And I think from the parish council sector, quite often they do it without pay. Um, they take a lot of the hassle, a lot of the grief. But if it isn't for the fact some of those people will rise to the challenge and stand for office, that um, the communities would be a far worse a place for being so. So I would always argue that the parish council concept needs to, to expand to areas that aren't parished. Certainly inner city London are starting to see it. Um, there's huge benefits of, of acting locally. Local is best. Um, right. Helen, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's been a fantastic discussion. Yeah, thank you, you're welcome. You have been listening to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Remember, your local council does some amazing work, but you can help. So remember to vote and be engaged with the work they're doing. If you like this podcast, please like, share and give a five-star review. If you would like to feature on the podcast, have any shout-out of excellent work being done by a local authority, or have any topics you would like covered, please email me at truthaboutlocalgovernment.com at gmail.com truth about local government local government is at the heart of what we do